Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this world, there are more stories than legs on a millipede. Some are jointed, some have gonopods, some were torn off by a jerk beetle. But they're all worth the walking. So, open your tubular beaks and listen. Welcome to Brushtown Stories, episode 18, from the diary of Bernard Glouch, The Demon's Promise. From the diary of Bernard Glouch, world traveler. Chapman Heath and I were traveling with the German army in the Russian hinterlands. In the aftermath of the Brusilov offensive, our supplies were running short. This was the last true gasp of a unified Russian army, and we found ourselves lost in Galicia. After taking artillery fire near Lutsk, we were separated from the rest of the scout group. Heath and I wandered for a while and eventually found an abandoned farmhouse, where we decided to wait out the conflict. The winter emerged early and wrapped its hands around the eastern front and refused to let go. We burned most of the furniture for heat and ate what we could find in the root cellar. We boiled wood pulp in parts of our clothes to stave off starvation for a little while. The rumble of artillery was a sound that became as normal as hearing birdsong or wind rattling the tree branches. As time ticked on, we considered our options— Heath would spend most mornings examining an etching of the inscription on the clay cylinder we found in Armenia. The original was left at the Duke's mansion. We'd only learn later that an anti-Habsburg anarchist bombed the mansion during the middle of 1917. The Duke and his possessions did not survive. But at this time, we were unaware of that fact. In truth, our main concern at this moment was not perishing from famine or war. During a series of clear nights, we saw lights in the distance. If fortune favored us, those lights would belong to one of the armies of the Central Powers. We had papers designating us scouts in their employ. We found out, however, as the door was kicked in one afternoon, that the lights belonged to the Russians. And we thus ended up being caught by the Royal Kuban 2nd Women's Battalion of Death. The Russian army was demoralized, and it was said there was one gun for every ten men. However, there were quite a few women who volunteered to fight for the honor of Tsar and country. It was also hoped that seeing women fighting would both inspire and shame the men into battling harder. And though they were called the Battalion of Death, these Russian women opted instead to take us to a prison camp. This was due to my American origin, as since the U.S. had yet to enter the war, the Russians didn't want to provoke any international tension. The women could march with seemingly endless energy. 
Their long, ruddy coats ring with mud and sweat. The captain had cut her hair short, and her piercing blue eyes seemed to almost glow. They had tied our hands with rope, and their pockets were filled with turnips, which they often ate raw or chewed on like tobacco as we marched. They would spit the juice into the snow. It had a slight purple tint and was sometimes mixed with blood. A particularly severe woman who called herself Bullet was our personal jailer. She spoke some English and claimed to have spent time in British Rhodesia. I am unsure how she came by the nickname of Bullet, if it was due to some mistranslation on her part or just a word she liked. Whatever the reason, Bullet had the confidence of a man twice her size. She loved throwing rocks at birds and would often sing and force us to join in. The fact that we were ignorant of the words, tune, or even language of the song mattered not to her. It was in a hilly section of the frontier that the blizzard hit. Soon we were wading through snow up to our knees, then our waists. During a near whiteout, Heath grabbed me, and we did our best to run from our captors, or at least trudge. We found refuge in an old cave in the hillside. We managed to cut our bindings on some jagged rocks. In fact, there were several abandoned fire pits and tools strewn about, and bones, the remains of previous inhabitants. We soon realized this cave was a spirit well. This spot had apparently been the home to a sect of Kabbalistic Jews who practice a form of mysticism. Several incantations and secret words were carved into the walls. At the back was a stone well which was covered over with green stones and sacred wood. This well, according to the Hebrew inscriptions, held a Shadim, which is a type of demon. The Kabbalists probably would siphon its power for their rituals. Both he and I felt the well should not be disturbed, and we would be best served by finding somewhere else to hide. But to our dismay, as we turned to leave, Bullet was waiting at the cave's mouth. She aimed her gun at us. She backed us up against the well. We tried to warn her of its dark purpose, but she didn't care. She thought there might be something of value. She pried off the protective wood and charms, blocking the mouth of the well. Once done, she looked in and saw nothing. So she spit in rage. There was a moment of calm. Before, in a rumble and with a purple glow, the Shadim appeared. It was a ferocious-looking demon, and it was angry. I fell to the ground in fear, but Bullet didn't care. She started punching the demon in the face and shoulders until it started to cry. In response to this, she gave it a swift kick in the rear. It demanded, between sobbing gasps, to know why she didn't fear him. Bullet said she was a Russian woman in the modern world, and that gave her no fear of demons or devils. She'd been kicked enough by the mule of life to not give a fig about such things. And also, his well was ugly and smelt of boiled turpentine. The Shadim nodded in sorrowful agreement, but asked if Bullet could stop her assault. Bullet shrugged but relented. The demon then fretted that this modern world seemed quite scary, and worried about living in such a place. It spoke in a tongue that cut through language, and we all understood the monster clearly. Seeming to suddenly take pity upon the wretch, Bullet said not to worry that he could live in her ammunition pouch. The demon considered this, and asked to have a look inside. Heath, though, first asked the demon if he could read the rubbing he'd made of the clay cylinder. 
He nervously took the wax paper and handed it to the demon. The beast waved his hand and a pair of spectacles appeared via a burp of flame. The demon put them on and read over the paper. He paused for a moment and then laughed. What? What does it say? We both held our breath. Perhaps here was the answer to the riddle we've been after for years now. The demon stifled another laugh. It says the begat girl did not become pregnant. The virgin girl became pregnant. What is it? Auxiliary forces. Upon finishing, the demon laughed again. What? He said. Auxiliary force. You see, oh, it's a form of a Lemurian riddle cylinder. It's a joke. They were quite common. You see, it's auxiliary forces. Well... How is your understanding of basic Mesopotamian troop movements? No? Well, thank you for that. I need the laugh. So that's it? It's all a joke? Heath crumpled against the wall as if all the air was suddenly sucked out of him. The demon was confused and asked why he was so sad. I explained our situation and he listened closely. He then said that he had no direct knowledge of the fecal box or the seeds of paradise, but he had heard tell over the years via gossipy sneezes that such a box was seen in China, and he suggests we try the island of Formosa. Then he asked Bullet if she wanted to marry him, as he was now in love with her. I couldn't fathom why, but demons seemed to be capricious by nature. Bullet refused, but she said they could walk a black sand beach and discuss cohabitation. So, in a flash of red lightning and zinc-perfumed smoke, both Bullet and Demon were gone. Heath still seemed defeated, but I told him that China would provide the next clue for certain. Heath grumbled. I could tell his mood was black as a cannonball. In time he'd come around, and China would... But that's later. In that moment in the cave, I let him stew in his depression. I slid down the cave wall and sat next to him. We sat in silence for a while. Then he started to laugh. He gave me a slap on the back. Auxiliary forces, of course. <laughs> Brushtown Stories is a Roy Gold production. It was written by Jonathan Goldberg with music by David Erglieri. Bernard Glouch is James Kennedy. Find out more about the show and cast at podmusical.com. Find out what happens to all of your favorite characters on Season 2 of The Fall of the House of Sunshine, coming March 2018. Find out what happens to characters you haven't met yet and have no emotional connection to on Season 2 of The Fall of the House of Sunshine, coming March 2018. Thanks for listening, and have a suntabulous bicuspid of a day! The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.